God has graciously given mankind the ability to look forward to things. In human psychology, we're told that it's important that people have something that they can look forward to, just to give them the strength that they need to keep on. And indeed, God has given us things to look forward to. And it is one of the things that God uses to strengthen us along our way. In the Bible, mostly God talks about, tells us things that happened in the past. But it also tells us about our future. Not just the future of the world, not just the future of God, but our future. And that's what we're talking about in this first section of first of 2 Corinthians 5. That's what Paul's talking about. We've already spent last week focusing on verses 1 and 2. Today we'll focus on verses 3 and 4. And then next week on verse 5 and the first half of verse 6. But I'm going to read the whole passage 1 through 5. In fact, I think I'm just going to go ahead and read... 1 through 8, even though you won't have 6 through 8 up there. This is God's word. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to, be, to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And now verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Actually, I missed the first little sentence of verse 6. But it actually says something like, so we are of good courage or something like that. Anyway. Okay. So, listen carefully to the transition in verse 1 through 3. Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may be, not be found naked. You see, at first, Paul is using the image of dwellings in this passage. Tents compared to buildings. He refers to these present bodies as tents because they are temporary dwelling places. But he refers to the bodies that we will receive on the last day as buildings from God because they are eternal, permanent dwelling places for us. But notice that in verse 2, he changes 
horses mid-verse, switching from one image to another without changing the subject. He shifts from the image of putting on, he shifts from the image of buildings to the image of clothing. Putting on clothing. Talking about being clothed with our present bodies now and then later being clothed with resurrection bodies in the future. The shift occurs right in the middle of verse 2. In this tent we groan, he's still talking about dwelling places, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So he's shifted images right in the middle of the verse. Talking about clothing. And then, using this image of being clothed with bodies, in verse 3, he refers to being naked. Now, when in this context where you're talking, using bodies, you know, using the image of clothing, where you have a body now, and then later you'll, you put on, like clothing, a different body, nakedness can only mean one thing. It means being without a body at all. And that's exactly what it means in this passage. And this is clear from verse 4, which, which says, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. He's not longing that he'd be done with his body, but that he'd be receive a new body, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So he doesn't want to be rid of his body. He just wants to be clothed with a better body. He doesn't view being naked, meaning being without a body, positively. We do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, he says. Or to put it another way, he wants it to be clear. When he's talking about groaning and yearning, He's not referring to, he wants it to be clear that he's not referring to being um, done with this body, but rather being clothed with a new body. You see, once we die, until the resurrection on the last day, we have no body to be clothed in. Thus, for a time we are, when in using this image of clothing, we are naked. until we are clothed with our eternal dwelling on the last day. So in theology, this is called the intermediate state. The intermediate state between death and the glorious day of resurrection when Christ returns. During this time, we will be without bodies. All people will be without bodies. Though we will be with the Lord in paradise. Paul refers to this intermediate state in the next few verses. Verses 6 to 8. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And then verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. This means that in one sense, we are away from the Lord now, while we're in our bodies. And when we die and go to be with the Lord, 
then we will be away from our bodies, though we will be with the Lord. And it's better to be with the Lord than with your body. That's clear. You see, people, as people, we are composed of two parts. The soul, or spirit, and the body. The body, this body that we have now, is mortal, meaning it can and will die. Unless, of course, you happen to be alive when the Lord returns, then you skip this middle, this intermediate state. But for all the rest of us, we will, we will die. But the soul is immortal in that it will never die. It is very important that we understand that although it is better to be absent from the body and present with the Lord than it is to dwell in this present existence, there's still something lacking and incomplete about being in that intermediate state because we won't have a body during that time. And that's why Paul refers to it as nakedness. When we don't have a body, we're not yet who we're supposed to be. There's a part of us that's still dead. Think about Jesus. This is the way it was with him. He spent time in that intermediate state too, didn't he? After his death and before his resurrection, he did not live in a body. The human soul of Jesus did not die. Only his body did. His soul lived on during this, the time between the crucifixion and the resurrection, presumably with the Lord in heaven, just as our souls live on after death. However, not until Jesus was resurrected was he vindicated and glorified and completed as a human being. Even in the intermediate state, death is better than life. Even though it is, means being separated from the body because it is so valuable to be with the Lord. And Paul talks about this in Philippians 1. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. See, what makes death better is not what happens to our bodies. It's in spite of what happens to our bodies. What makes death better is the fact that we go to be with Jesus. As he said to the man at the next cross down, this very day you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23. So it's really a matter of good, better, and best. This life is good, the intermediate state will be better, and the final state of resurrection will be the best of all. Think about this. For believers in Christ, in this age, we enjoy the precious salvation that Jesus accomplished for us. Plus, he is with us through the Holy Spirit. We can enjoy his peace, his promises of a glorious destiny, his word. We have the company of God's people traveling together as we're marching to Zion. This is a good life for those who are in Christ. But when we die, we leave this veil of tears 
this place of pain and sin. And we rise in spirit to dwell in the presence of the Lord, in paradise with those who have departed in faith. There we will rest from toil, from sin, from frustration, from trouble until the day of his coming, waiting and longing for the day of our resurrection, and waiting and longing for the day of God's justice, the completion of our salvation. So the that's an even more blessed state than the one we are in now. But then Christ is revealed from heaven and his mighty angels in flaming fire and we will be caught up in the air to meet him with all the saints and our bodies will be raised in glory and reunited with our spirits. And in verse 4, as verse 4 says, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth will be dissolved, the heavens set on fire, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, as Peter says in 2 Peter 3. Then there will appear a new heavens and a new earth, full of God's righteousness. We will be presented to our Lord as his bride in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. And from that point on, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. On that day, we will finally be free. It will be the grand finale of all history. The freedom of the glory of the children of God, as Paul says in Romans 8. That will be the day when God will fully make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of his mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Romans 9, 23. So in these three stages, each stage is better than the last. And this means that our orientation needs to be forward, not backward. We should be yearning for the next stage, not for the last stage. Our temptation is to look back on the days when we were young and sort of wish that we could go back to that stage. But God calls us to see that the days that we have in the future are far better than the days we have in the past. And that we should be looking forward and not backward. It may feel like we're headed toward death. But the fact is, those in Christ are headed toward life. We are mortal creatures, but one day our mortality will be swallowed up by life. The resurrection of our bodies is part of our, what the Bible calls our glorification. Glorification is when we reach the point of real fullness and freedom. This is when we become all that we are meant to be. Though God is a spirit, he created a world that is a physical world, a material world. 
And he said it was very good. And he created mankind to dwell in physical bodies in this physical world. And he said it was very good. And he sent his son in a physical human body to live in the physical world. And on the third day after the crucifixion, Christ was reunited with his body. Though it was a far superior version of his body. One like we will enjoy in the new heavens and the new earth. And though the world is now cursed and though man lives in sin and misery, a day is coming when God will remake the world and our bodies and we will dwell in new, spiritual, eternal, and yet still physical bodies in a new, yet still physical world. For all eternity. This is our hope. This is the Christian hope. As the scriptures teach us. In the meantime, we groan. Not from a desire to be separated from our bodies. Although there's a time when it's perfectly appropriate to groan about that. But that's not the groaning that he's referring to here in this passage. It's a groaning that's longing to have the new bodies that Christ has promised We long for final redemption. We long for the process to be over and for the fruition of it all to come to pass. We long to enter into the fullness of being clothed with our glorified bodies. We were made body and soul. And that's how we were meant to exist eternally. Now, some people have supposed... And one of the way, and one of the philosophies that is thought this way is called Gnosticism. Suppose that what is physical is inherently evil. And therefore, being in a non-physical existence is superior to being in a body. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. Existence outside the body even in the presence of Jesus, is nakedness. It's wonderful to be with Jesus. It's even more wonderful to be with him and see him face to face in our new bodies when we will be completely and finally free. Now, some may think that I'm just being theologically nitpicky here. You know, what difference does it make what kind of bodies we have when we, when we die and go to be with Jesus. Well, I think it does matter. If we think of heaven as some place removed from he- far removed from here, some ethereal up there where we're floating around on the clouds, it's hard for us to connect with what it's like to be there. I don't think it's taking seriously what the Bible tells us that, about how we live in earthly tents and that on that day we will live in a remade earth which means that in all the best ways our lives will be similar to what they are now but without fear, without sin, without pain and sorrow, without limitation without weakness, without frustration, without failure, without loss, without strife. 
It means that this is something people can get excited about, it seems to me. Something people can actually imagine. But the idea of floating in the clouds, singing with the angels in an existence completely different from this one, I don't think this gives us the help and encouragement that we need. In the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle, the very end of the book and the end of the whole story of the, that we find in the Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia has been destroyed. And the friends of Aslan, the great lion who represents Christ, they've grieved over the loss. And as they're grieving, they venture further into Aslan's country. They're now, you know, going to heaven, so to speak. And suddenly they begin to recognize things there. Things they've never seen before. A rock, a stream, a tree. They've never seen these, but they've seen similar things in their world. Though they've never been there before in, in this new place. Here's a quote. It was the unicorn who summed up every, what everyone was feeling. He stamped the right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. There are a lot of hard things here in this world. Things which will not be a part of our heavenly existence. But there are a lot of wonderful things here in this life as well. A lot of precious things and a lot of beautiful things. And the best things of the earth will be there in the new heavens and the new earth in an even better way. Along with many new pleasures and new enjoyments and new abilities and new beauties and new glories. But the best thing of all is that we will be with the Lord. We'll see him face to face and we will be like him. As verse 6 says, right now in one sense we're away from the Lord. But it's better to be away from the body and with the Lord. But when Christ comes, we'll have both. Forever. As Paul said in a dungeon in his last hours of life. Some of the last words we have from Paul. He said this. Henceforth... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. He calls believers those who love his appearing. That's how much at the heart of our faith these promises are. It's not just the study of theology. One branch of some academic way of approaching the Bible or the reality of God. This is our hope. This is our yearning. This is what we're looking forward to. This is what gives us strength. And this is why, after talking about this, he says, so we are not without good cheer. This is what keeps us going. This is not the end of the story. But this story has a glorious end. As we put our hope in Christ, as we remember what he did for us, we also remember that there's a future blossoming of everything that we have we know and everything that we've experienced remember when Jesus first instituted the Lord's Supper he says you know he talked about doing this in remembrance of him even though he hadn't died yet they would look back at what he was going to do that next day on the cross whenever they did this together this breaking of bread and drinking of the wine in remembrance of him. But he also said that he would not do this again until it was fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. There's a future fulfillment of this that so far outshines anything that we have on this earth that whatever spectacular feast you have planned for your Thursday will look like eating cardboard. Yesterday, I was at Presbytery meeting and they passed around, the, we were taking the Lord's Supper together and they passed around the bread and the wine and you know this nice looking like baguettes of bread and so I took a nice healthy portion and then I put it in my mouth. It was gluten free. It was, I'm, and I apologize for those who have to eat gluten free. I feel so sorry for you. I'm so sorry that you have to endure, endure that. But though it looked fine, it was just torture just to chew it and get it out of my mouth as fast. I didn't want to spit it out. But it was and, and that's you know this even though there's you know we're not gluten free here and this is gluten free and if you need gluten free we're happy to give it to you. But, but uh, this is not gluten free just to be clear. Um, but the point is that 
we have something in store for us that is so far better that it makes the things of this earth, it will look like even though we won't, we won't despise it, but it will look like nothing compared to what God has in store for us. And that's our hope, and that's what we're looking forward to. And we can eat this knowing what's coming. We eat in faith, because now in this life we don't walk by sight, but by faith. Knowing what's true, even though we don't yet see it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have blessed us and showered us with the grace of your precious promises. And dear Lord, even though the world cannot see it, we know that you are real. We know that Christ is who he says he is. We know that your word is indeed your word. And we know that there is hope for us in Christ. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that even though the world laughs at us, that you would help us as we seek you, as we come to you, as we partake of you, as you offer yourself to us. We pray that we would be strengthened, that we might continue on and finish the race, looking forward to the day when we will be with you and see you face to face. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.